Got time for a quick story. What happens when you combine a neoconceptual artist known for his lyricism and a legendary rock drummer? You get the end recording of Running on an Empty Heart. How does that happen? Well, I was informed about this by a guy named Ken Franklin, who has set up some of my interviews, including my interviews with Frankie Previtt over the years. Frankie Previtt, who uh, Frankie and the Knockouts and co-wrote big hits from Dirty Dancing. I've had the time of my life and hungry eyes. Well, Ken told me about this collaboration between Richard Human, who writes lyrics for American Nomads, and Joe Vitale, who has been a drummer for Joe Walsh for many, many, many years, has drummed for Crosby, Stills, and Nash, did that for many, many years, drummed live the Eagles for many, many years, and has done a lot of other projects. You listening right now almost certainly heard his music. Well, they combined in that a song by American Nomads was sent to Joe to engineer and mix, and that's Running on an Empty Heart. And it's the first project together, definitely not the last. And I get a chance to talk to both of them about that project and other aspects of art and music. And that's what we're talking about today in this edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Let's start with how this got set up, and this was through... Ken Franklin, this is how it how the the how did this collaboration all come together? Okay, well, uh, I mean, it came about through Ken Franklin, who who uh, arranged this meeting with us as well. So we we had been, uh, you know, we've we've worked in the past with a couple other producers and people who've worked with us mixing, and we've done a lot of stuff in house also. And Ken kept talking about Joe Vitale, how amazing he is, and how wonderful he is, and we know him obviously as a musician, of course, having played with so many people. And um, and we we're like, well, let's give it a shot. And the minute that Joe gave us the first cut back, the band fell in love with it and fell in love with working with Joe also. It, and uh, and it's not even because you're on the line. I'm saying this, Joe, it's the truth. OK, you can <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, that's how it came about. We uh, threw Ken and, and, and the minute the first cut came back, the band just loved it. We're like what an amazing sound you created you know and and so we're looking forward to as you as you know already the next project which will be around well we're starting it now we're we're actually setting up the studio upstairs the, the in-house recording studio we moved it from one location to the other a new location we're, we're if you hear clicking and, and banging and stuff that's the guy setting up the studio upstairs so we're ready for the next project to come about as well uh, that's how much we love working on running on empty heart with joe nice um Joe, your what, what was your familiarity with American Nomads and and or when you heard when when you got called up for this project, what were your first thoughts hearing hearing this and especially getting getting the music to you know to mix this all together? So basically, your your opinion on their music. What was your take? Well, Ken Franklin had contacted me and said, "Hey, I'm working with this group and uh, they've got." some pretty cool songs and um would you be interested in in uh, they're looking for someone to mix and i said well you know i don't just take jobs i i you know i i have to see what i'm doing first if i even want to take the job so he sent sent me uh uh ken or one of the guys sent me a uh, a rough of it and i i just like 
uh, you know, uh, just like Rich said, I, I fell in love with the song. I heard the song. I didn't know these guys, but I hear the song. I was like, wow, there's, this is a good song. And, um, and I listened to what they had for the demo. And I, I, that right then I knew that I could, um, I could make this thing sound really good. And, uh, I'd be, you know, I, I like working on music and uh, that I like, you know, I mean, I, I'll work on, you know, I, I can work on projects that I don't like, but that's not fun, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, I, I try not to do that. I, I like to work on projects that, with, that the music I can relate to and, and like, and I really fell in love with the, the music. I worked with the Eagles for a long time and, and, uh, it reminded me of something that they would do or, or should do or what have you. And, um, I could really relate to the music and, um, and uh, it just needed some tweaking and, you know, a little bit of this and that and to get the mix happening. And we went back and forth a couple of times with um, uh, try this, try that. And that's just the general, that's the normal process. And um, and all of a sudden I, I came to a, a mix that I really loved and they loved. And so that's it. And um, that's how it works. And um, and I'm really excited about this next tune because it's just it's an American anthem. It's going to be fabulous. Is there a... Oh, go ahead, Richard. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. We're very excited, too. And we're, we're the last time... See, we had done a lot of the production before Joe came on to the last project. So we had it, it basically, you know, produced out with Walter and, and, and Dante. Walter Kennel is uh, one of the lead singers and, and the writer of the last two with me. I did the lyrics. Walter did the music and some of the lyrics, too. Um, this new one, we're bringing Joe in or Joe's volunteering to come in from the very beginning. So even when we do rehearsal cuts, we send them those. So the last one was kind of like, here's the further stems, here's everything, see if you can make this sound great, which he did. And Joe also added this incredible guitar part to it that really brought this hook in, into the into the chorus section that now now that I hear it, I can't imagine the song without what Joe did with it. But the new, the new version is the new song uh, is called My American Dream. And it's going to be, we're bringing Joe in from the very beginning. So he'll actually be producing it, not just engineer, mix, and master. It's going to be from the very beginning all the way through to the end. Joe, what would you, or how would you describe your your technique, your style when you're working in that regard behind the desk doing the engineering, especially in a, in a modern context? And that's always something that it's kind of fun to talk about with, with other artists who've worked on this from the analog into the digital era and all the different technologies. What's your approach, especially with something that has a lot more musical heft, like something you're going to get from American Nomads. This is not like laptop, take a sample and just let her run. There's something, there's a lot going on there. So what do you do when you're trying to make it sound a certain way like this particular, like these two particular projects? Well, you know, right from the start, uh, this is, this is old school. This is beautiful this is the way you make records and it's not all computer generated and all that. It, this is real talent by people singing and playing. And, and I grew up making all these albums doing that. And, um, uh, I learned from some of the best producers and engineers in the world. And, uh, I mean, they, their, their credits are, are, are amazing. And, uh, these people knew what they were doing and still do. And so, uh, I learned from them that, you know, you know, what, what to look for. And, and we call it ear candy. We love that, that title because that's, that's what we call that when there's just, just something about a song that, that just grabs you and you love it. And it, 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 it it's, it's 
hard to come by, you know, uh, ear candy, we call it. And uh, that's not always just little, little sparkly things that records, you know, you dress up records with. I'm talking about a vocal or a guitar part that just, oh, that thing is perfect. And so you look for that. And I, I found a lot of that. You know, I, I just mixed this song. I, what the guys did before I got my hands on it, they were all ready well into this great project. And, and I, I didn't really do much but mix it. But, but what they gave me was uh, so, uh, so fun to mix because um, every track had something worthwhile. A lot of new uh, artists that are just getting into recording, they don't realize because computers have enabled groups to have like you need 50 tracks great you got 50 tracks you need 100 tracks great you got 100 tracks i grew up with you got 16 tracks make the song work with 16 tracks so you know we we got into a place where you know it it in it forced like people like joe walsh it forced him to it not forced but it it, it enabled him to he had to come up with the, the killer rhythm guitar part because you know what you only got two tracks you don't have 20 tracks for guitar parts so it it, it made us think and create in a very special way that everything we played meant something because we only had so many tracks well the 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 age of the computers changed all that and it's it's not good because it shouldn't change that in recording songs it should be like yeah so what you got 150 tracks if you want but why don't you try making a record with 24? You know what? You'll make a great record with 24. And when you think about it, you when you think about rock and roll, uh, in all the genres of rock and roll, when you think about it, you really don't need more than 24 tracks, really. Because when you look at the drums and the bass and the keys, guitars, vocals, it, it, you can. It, it's all possible on 24 tracks. And what happens is a lot of people make use of like, a, you know, 50, 60 tracks and they just water down the production. They water it all down. There's so many things going on. There's space problems. There's all kinds of technical problems going on. And there's not one thing that you can your ears can focus on uh, other than the vocal, maybe. But there's not one thing in musically that you can focus on that really, you know, it, it, it's hard to play air guitar to these new songs. And a lot of kids, you know, a lot of people do. They love that. It's a, what's what's cool about all the records I made is there's always been a great guitar player on the record. And um, and uh, people, you know, are, are standing there with an invisible guitar in their hands, making make them believe they're playing those parts. And that's really exciting to me. And so back to what we were talking about with the with the American Nomads song, you know, they had that. They, they had this great, the, the drums part, the drum, I'm a drummer. The drum part was killer. It was this like train, this like, this like, this soft train that went through the whole song and um, just such nice energy. And um, so, uh, oh, my cat's one cat. <laughs> on. Um, so, um it, uh, it it was uh, it was a, a pleasure to mix it because it, it would really reminded me of all the records I ever made. Richard, you're you're the lyricist for American Nomads. I write about the majority of the lyrics. Okay. Yes, I mean George Lagrange throws in when he writes a song, Walter sometimes, but the majority of the lyrics. Yes, I, I do the majority of them. Where did have you gotten your inspiration for writing lyrics for song? I mean. You've got a whole lot of artistry going on, obviously. But for this particular segment of your art, 
where do you, where do you find that that particular tap or where do you tap into for that inspiration well, it, you know it, it comes from different places right joe is just talking about like multi-track recording systems like the, and i agree with him by the way to go back for a second i agree i think that like when people are doing 50 60 100 tracks i i don't like the sound of that music whereas george martin did sergeant pepper on eight tracks i believe right and that the, the tie-in of what you're talking about is so my inspiration will come in Maybe like Lennon on Sgt. Pepper with, you know, being for, for the benefit of Mr. Kite, come, well, goes in somewhere, sees a poster, reads those words, and all of a sudden this song develops. So sometimes I'm reading a book or sometimes I'm on the subway. I live in Brooklyn. Uh, we all live in Brooklyn. We live in an old firehouse here. The band, Walter owns it, and we rehearse here, and I've been living here for, for many years. And I'll be on the subway, see some words, or like an inspirational hit me. And, and I tend to build out from the story. Whereas like running on empty heart, Walter and I will do a lot of writing together. He's like, I have this idea for this melody. Can you throw words to it? And sometimes I'll put words and George or Walter will put the melody down, but he had this idea for that song. And he's like, and I, I, you know, the chorus is running on an empty heart. And I was like, Oh man, I love that. I just loved it. And then we just started telling the story. So I just, you know, basically telling a story about the twisted road and no amends, you know, and, and, so it, it's basically, a, it's a narrative in short form is what it is. And of course, being a writer, because I write as well as regular poetry, songs have a structure. You've got verse structure, you've got a bridge structure, and you've got a chorus structure. So you're plugging this creativity into a, a set structure that's happening. You could break that you know, structure where you know, Stone Temple Pilots with plush, every aspect of that song is like a chorus right there's i mean there are verses and and bridge and so pre-chorus but everything is this incredible chorus but we tend to write verses you know chorus verse chorus bridge back and out so you you have to plug into that but my inspiration literally comes from everywhere lots of reading lots of just observing and i constantly take notes down as well a great phrase or something I'll, a lot of songs start with a great phrase that i've read or heard somewhere do a crossover between the some of your specialties. So, Joe, which musical, what, what, which lyricists of any sort throughout the history, pop, rock, whatever musical genre, which lyricists really stand out as your favorites all time? Wow, uh, I probably have uh, quite a few, but you know, I I love I loved a lot of the lyrics that that Bernie Toppin did with Elton. I mean, he yeah. what a great lyricist. I mean, that's a team right there. Of course, Lennon McCartney. Forget about it. That, that there was some great uh, lyrics there, in, in, you know, eternal lyrics. But and, and one thing I must say about what Rich said about writing, this is why he he writes really good words because he takes real life experience. And there's nothing better than taking real. I mean, I think I I truly believe the only uh, writers that were ever able to sell a, a fantasy as far as, uh, you know, uh, um, lyrics about nothing that's real, just something, you know, were the Beatles. Like, you know, the, you know, there were lyrics that they wrote that that never happened. That didn't happen. But they, they, they were so interesting and they were they were able to pull it off. But the, obviously the best songs that live forever are songs with real life experiences because the listener can relate to it and they feel that and mm -hmm. and so when rich was talking about you know he's out and about and in the subway where, wherever and you get these images and 
one one thing I learned about those kind of songs is that you know you need in your lyrics you paint a picture it's it's all about images and and people really relate to that and um uh i i don't know um any other way to define it that that you know if if you're going to write a song and and it it has moments of you know real heartfelt moments well most of those heartfelt moments comes from the words you're singing and um, people can relate to them and they could be happy or sad but they they can relate to them they're human and they you know and uh that's that's the way to write songs is is life's experiences uh and and it's you're taking a chance if you write a song about something you've never experienced. It's really rough. It's hard. You can do it if you're literally, if you're, if you're that bright that you can actually create an experience and write about, but it's, it's not the same as you actually lived it. Cause then you get passion. I, I agree. And, and uh, there's an expression that I, I try to live by with all my writing, which is, you know, no tears for the writer, no tears for the reader, right? Exactly. So, Perfect. Perfect. And, 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 and so, so for me, it's the same thing. Yes, I, I, one of our songs is called uh, Three Steps to Jesus, right? Which is, that's more of a fun thing. That hasn't been released yet. We've been working on it. We've played it live, but nothing on an album yet. And a, a guy that we were, uh, an elderly gentleman I know in the business, manager for a very big act, he, he got sick. This is pre-COVID. And he's like, oh, guys, listen. I'm back today, but I was three steps from Jesus just a few weeks ago. And I was like, I'm stealing that. So sometimes <laughs> you you can steal things like that. But the truth is, no tears for the writer, no tears for the reader. So I try to make it something that I feel in my heart or I can experience. And I want you to experience it with me. Interesting. Now, the other way around, Richard, your most admired, most favorite instrumentalist and joe is primarily a drummer but you could choose any musical instrumentalist in any musical genre uh, i you know it so it's you know it's tough right just joe said this stuff too like lyrically it's how do you pick right do you pick uh, uh you know bernie toppin do you pick uh you know bob dylan or whomever so musically i'd have to say believe it or not guitar wise would be david gilmore and i was lucky enough to meet david uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, backstage at one of the Pink Floyd shows. And, but this guy I just look up to, and he's not a guy like a, a Stevie Ray Vaughan or a, a Eric Clapton that could just bang out thousands of notes per beat. He's a guy that makes one, maybe the lead, seven notes, the whole lead, but you feel every single nuance of that lead. So I'd have to say he's one of my favorite of all time, you know, drummer wise, uh, other than Joe Vitale, of course, is maybe like, a, of course, everybody goes to Bonham or Ringo. I happen to like Ringo. I, I love Ringo's drumming. I think that it's such yeah, a, unique, a unique kind. Yeah, it's incredible. Musical drummer. musical drummer, yeah. I love him. Anytime I've ever been in a band that did some covers or playing at a club somewhere, sitting at a club and you play a Beatles song, uh, if you're a drummer and you play a Beatles song, I'm sure it's the same thing if you're if a guitar player or bass player. But if you're a drummer and you play a Beatles song, you realize how what a genius he was. His parts were they seem simple. They're not simple. They're just they're, they're the perfect drum part for that song. I, they're, they're t- I totally agree. I can get lost sometimes. I can go down a rabbit warren of watching like drum covers of Beatles songs where it's just a guy. It's not Ringo, but it's a guy with GoPro camera set up drumming to a Beatles song. And you realize nobody else does that you know no, he's, nobody played like that nobody and you played. know one thing 
one thing people don't realize, and I've researched this to death, and I hope somebody corrects me. But I, so far, I've been researching it for years. Nobody's ever corrected me. Okay. Ringo Starr was the first drummer to play matched grip. That means he held the sticks the same in both hands, other than the, the traditional jazz guys with a left hand or right hand, depending what you were, was a different grip than, you know. And he was the first drummer to have matched and, and, and I remember in 64, when I saw the Beatles, my father was a musician. So when I saw the Beatles, I started playing like, you know, match grip like that. My father said, you're not holding your drumsticks right. right I said, right. wait a minute. I said, Ringo holds them like this. That's right. It's right. <laughs> exactly. And I think you're right. I think in one of those rabbit holes I was down recently, a drummer, and I don't know who it was, was talking about the match grip like that and mentioned that he got that from Ringo as well. So I, words, I, I, asked, I, I asked Ringo about it. I, I When I was with him, I said, who showed you this? And he said, I don't know. He said, I, when I decided to play drums one day, I picked up a pair of sticks and that's how I held them and played. I said, well, you know, you created this whole thing. The drummers play match script now. And now, a lot of jazz guys play traditional because the nature of the playing, it's actually a little better to to uh, have a traditional grip like that but right. i said man you you created a, something that that every drummer in the world you know tries now it wants to do and uh pretty amazing he he wasn't that impressed with himself about it i mean he just said that's the way i picked up sticks and played so i said more power to you man <laughs> that's amazing it's amazing wow did not know that that's really cool i got two historical questions one for each of you about about work you've done as long as I've got you here on a Zoom, so I'm going to take advantage of this. I'll start with you, Joe. Um, if I read the credits right, you were the drummer for Southern Cross? Yes. Okay, and I mentioned that because that's that was one of my late father's absolute favorite songs. I remember hearing that as a kid, and it takes me back every time I hear it. If we play it here on the, on the radio, I'll, I'll, I'll get flashbacks to the autumn of 1982, hearing that on the radio. What so as long as I've got you here on a Zoom, I gotta ask you, what are your memories of recording that song? Oh, I got a great memory of recording that song. First of all, that's one of my favorite. I, I recorded about geez, about a hundred CSN songs, CSNY, whatever. But that out of all those tunes, that's one of my favorite as well. It's it it was just it was one of those songs that was perfect. The feel was perfect. The vocals are stunning. The words are great. Everything about that song was great, you know. And but the one thing I remember that a lot of well, n not anybody knows this, that you know. But once the inside information on it was this. That was take one. When we cut that song, we learned it. Uh, we heard Stephen sit down with his uh, his acoustic and he played the song and sang it. And again, that's also the way you really write good songs. You're able to sit down with an instrument and play and sing it. Even though it's rough, that's how you know it's a good song. Anyway, he played it for us and we go, oh, this is great. Let's do it. We got on our instruments. We put it, you know, roll the tape. And because we knew what we were doing, we, we, we just hit it right off the bat. And, and when we were done, the engineer was in there. He was jumping up and down and controlling. He says, come on in, guys. We got it. And we're like, what? what was we just learned. We walked in there and we went, it's, it's it. It's perfect. Take one on that song. Amazing. Wow. That's. Yeah. That's I mean, and, and, and then the guys went out and old, old fashioned, old style. They all, the three of them stood around one mic, not individual tracks, one mic double tracked it and there's your vocal oh my and, gosh. and the way we the way we used to uh control 
blend back then was, you know, if you each guy was on one mic, one track, one channel, one fader, then you'd move the faders. That's not the way they did it. There was there's a certain magic to the blend if you're all around one mic. And the way you control the, the blend is the engineer says, hey, Cros, Crosby, step back six inches. That's how you did it, you know, and you didn't have to worry about faders. And then he would hear in there when all of a sudden that magic would happen, that blend. And um, and that's the way we did it back then. And I'll tell you what, the, I love a lot of the new technology. I love that, you know, the computer stuff is killer. It's great. It's fun. Great editing. That's for sure. And but I'll tell you what, there's I would have never had it any other way. But to, to grow up the way I did and learn the stuff I did with old school recording, because that process is still today. You just it, you know, the only thing that's changed is the media and uh, and what you're recording to. Although I, I'll always think that tape sounds better than digital. Digital. A lot of people say that. I think it does. But uh, uh, but really, the, the process is pretty much the same. Richard, in your case, I got a note from Ken, which is what prompted this question, that said you worked with Bob Defren back yeah, in the Bob, 90s? Yeah, Bob, Bob was... Uh, I, when I in in uh, I came to New York in, in 1985 after college, and I was doing like working at a type shop. I was always a designer, and then uh, 1992 I broke out on my own and as a designer. And Bob was one of my first clients with Atlantic Records. So Bob is known as the guy that he designed the ACDC logo, which Bob always says they're going to end up putting that on his tombstone because that's what he's going to be remembered for. You know, the ACDC logo on Bob's tombstone. But, yeah, but I worked for Bob. I did Atlantic Records. I also worked with MTV, Nickelodeon, VH1. So I did a lot of work in, in the music business. What? In those- Knowing that now, especially especially all of those those networks, and I, I mean, back then I was watching a lot of those networks, especially MTV, VH1, back when they played videos, you know, back in that era. Yeah, exactly. That's when I was part of it, yeah. Was, was What was your most... I guess, what was your most favorite project to work on in that era among some of those entities you just mentioned? Well, you know, it's hard to say because I remember we did an ACDC. Uh, uh, Bob was doing something with ACDC. I think it was one of their later ones, you know. I mean, I like ACDC. I'm not a, a rabid fan per se, but it was like either Ball Breaker, I think it was. And I just remember like having to contact people. And I think they were, had just come off tour, so they were all tired of each other. One was in Australia, one was in England, one was out in la and if one person likes something the other one vehemently denied that he that's ever going to happen so i remember that process they were like you know like arguing amongst each other but <laughs> it's a real man exactly we're the same way trust me and and uh so but i think in those days everything was bigger than life with mtv when i was there or atlantic too you just knock stuff off i mean I, I live in Brooklyn, but I have a house in Woodstock, and it's because of those days. I bought that house because of the money generated by doing 24 hours a day for years straight with all those companies. But one of my favorite MTV moments was they did a Christmas party, uh, and I think it was at Lincoln Center, and they got Eric Clapton played it. He introduced From the Cradle at that party. So wow. he came out and he performed at the MTV party there. So, I mean, that's what it was like back in those days, you know? To be at a party and Clapton's doing from the cradle originally by himself, like kind of like the um, Talking Heads, where David Byrne walks out by himself a couple songs and the band joins slowly, and that's what Clapton did from the cradle. And uh, I just never feel like now that's a Christmas party. You know? Wow, wow. 
Yeah. Gosh, what an era. What an era. (laughs) Well, we got you guys working together and more to come. And that's that's great with uh, your your are all of your assorted artistry coming together. There's going to be more to come. I'm glad that I got the chance to talk to you guys. And again, what was the name of the new song that's going to be coming out? My American Dream. Okay. We'll look for that coming. You got a ballpark estimate on when it might we're get We're going to, because it's like this Americana anthem, we're going to shoot for the week or two before the 4th of July, have it as a 4th of July release, have it up available pre about a month ahead of time, I would say. Very good. And Running on yep. an Empty Heart, that's the one you can listen to right now. Joe Vitale, Richard Human, thank you both for taking some time to chat today. This is this has been a very fun half hour. Oh, thanks. Thank I you hope so we much. can do it again. Thank you so You're much. You're welcome. Look Thanks, forward to more. Take care. That was a, an enlightening, entertaining half hour, like I like I was just saying on the chat with both of them, uh, Richard Human and Joe Vitale, and, and getting some really fun stories there. Uh, you could tell those those two are, are are enjoying working with each other, collaborating with each other. So you listening want to know more? Well, let's start with the music, American Nomads. You can learn more about them at AmericanNomadsBand.com. That's AmericanNomadsBand.com. They're also on social media, so you can follow them along as well. Uh, Richard Human has his own website. That's RichardHuman.com. That's with two N's. That's the, that's the thing. Richard Human with two N's. RichardHuman.com. Joe Vitale has his own website as well. Joe Vitale on Drums. JoeVitaleOnDrums.com. And, of course, all involved with social media. You can keep up with what they're doing there. This has been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. And you can uh, you can follow along on a lot of, your pod, a lot of podcast platforms, i.e. Apple and Android, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. You can, you can uh, subscribe along and, and get new episodes of when they arrive. We've got Time for a Quick Story. Preferably rate this higher so people can learn uh, more about uh, this podcast. Word spreads. Thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, providing the facilities to do a lot of these interviews. You can listen to and watch a lot of these interviews. Uh, Greatest Hits 98.1.com at interviews. You'll find under features at the top of the website. You can also go to our YouTube channel to where you can listen to and also watch a lot of these interviews. This is a Zoom interview, so if you want to watch this, Go to the Greatest Hits 98.1 YouTube channel or go to GreatestHits98.1.com and go to interviews and you can watch or chat. That's probably one of the best ways. This is a good good one to, to watch because there's obviously video involved with this one. Got time for a quick story. I'm Luke Anthony.